I believe that technology and the things that we're talking about will allow us to be in community and communicate with others and realize that we are one, that we're connected in ways we could have never imagined. The divine can speak to us and can hold us and can reveal to us the messages that we need to hear in all forms of media and media that we can't even imagine. Is there a chance to encounter the divine at work, in our work? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We have a discipline and we have a practice so that our souls can be ready for that experience. It's not about just experiencing the divine and then, you know, going to the next experience. It's about integrating that experience into our day, into our life, and how we treat other people. This is Sean Askinosi, founder of Askinosi Chocolate. Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. My name is Ksenia Abdulova, and I am your host. And I am about to make a really big statement that I feel very confident sharing. If I never produced a single podcast episode after this one, I would feel like my mission would have been complete. That's right. This is the episode that up to date encapsulates why I was called to create it. And it's one of those divine moments, divine encounters, as Sean would say, that I couldn't have planned. It just came in at this perfect time as a divine storm and reminded me to always, always be open to miracles. Let me tell you a little bit about Sean so that you get a background story and then we're going to move into my conversation with him. So Sean Eskinozzi left a career, a very successful career as a criminal defense lawyer in 2006 to start a bin-to-bar chocolate company. Eskinozzi Chocolate is a small batch, award-winning chocolate factory located in Springfield, Missouri, which I'm planning to go visit later this year. They source 100% of their beans directly from farmers that they profit share with on three continents. Recently named by Forbes one of the 25 best small companies in America, Askinosi Chocolate has also been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, MSNBC, and Sean has also been named one of the 15 guys who are saving the world by Oprah. No big deal. He has been awarded honorary doctorates from the University of Missouri, Columbia, and Mississippi State University. He's a family brother at Assumption Abbey, a Trappist monastery in Missouri, and the co-founder of Lost and Found, a grief center serving children and families in southwest Missouri. His book, which I'm reading right now, is called Meaningful Work, The Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling, and Feed Your Soul, is co-written with his daughter, Lauren Askinosi, is published with Penguin Random House, and is currently a number one bestseller on Amazon. As you can guess, we will definitely be talking about chocolate. We will definitely be talking about disrupting business through fair trade, profit sharing, and bringing meaning into every step of the way. So Woke and Wired podcast is about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship in the digital age. But what I realized through my conversation with Sean Askinosi was this huge revelation that we spend so much time 
focusing on the tactics and the strategies and the things that work for others and not enough time connecting to the field of consciousness that is always there, that is always expanding and creating pathways for us to be part of that expansion. And if you're ready to dive into that expansive field and just feel connected to the meaning behind it all, then listen to this podcast with Sean. It really changes everything. And I'm so grateful for being able to have this platform to have these conversations for myself and to most importantly, be able to share them with you. I can't wait to see what takeaways move you, how it impacts your life, your work, your calling. Do pick up the book, Meaningful Work by Sean Askinosi. It's really incredible. I'm almost halfway through it. And go and find all the links to things we are talking about in the podcast on WokenWire.com. And if you haven't already, please pause right now to leave a rating and review for the podcast. If you are on social media, on Instagram, please take a screenshot of this episode as you're listening to it and tag me at WokenWired. And let me know what the biggest and most impactful thing from the show has been for you. Enjoy listening and enjoy expanding your consciousness to a whole new level, both in entrepreneurship and beyond. Sean, I am so excited to have you on Woken Wired. I have a funny story of how I found out about Askinazi. You want to hear it? I do. So out of all places, I was actually in Kansas City, Missouri, visiting a friend of mine, Abby Miller. And she took me to a shop, I think it's called Urban Provisions KC. And it's a store that's committed to sourcing as locally as possible and supporting artisans nearby. And my friend Abby takes me over to the Askinazi chocolates and she goes, this chocolate is amazing. I'm like, okay, let's try it. And then she goes, and Tim Ferriss approves it. And that's when I, when she really had me, I was like, okay, if Tim Ferriss says this is the chocolate with the right mission and intention and the right taste. I'm going for it. Wow. And? I thought it was incredible. It's so good. Amazon is probably my favorite. Oh, good. Good. I was just there a few months ago and a farmer from there uh, was the first farmer visit we've ever had in our factory, and it was two weeks ago, a 70-year-old woman farmer named Leonore. And I was in her farm recently, and she made me launch at her farm, and then she came to Springfield, Missouri, of all places. We were so excited to have her. But yeah, thank you for saying that. That's so cool. All right, so I am about 30% into your book and I am making crazy notes. I'm doing the exercises. The book is called Meaningful Work. If you guys haven't seen it and if you are someone who is interested in conscious entrepreneurship, which you are if you're listening to this podcast, then definitely check it out. But I have made lots of notes and it feels so cool to be able to read a book and then actually speak to the author. It's kind of like worlds, the best of all worlds collide. So one of the chapters I noticed that you have, it's called Get Woke. And if I remember right, it's about how you switched from being a criminal defense lawyer to being a chocolate entrepreneur. So we'll get more into that. But I'm curious before that, what is making you feel woke right now? I would say that today I'm getting ready 
after this podcast to have lunch with a friend who is quite possibly very ill, really sick. And this morning, like five mornings a week, I practice something called intercessory prayer, just a really kind of Catholic-y way, although I'm not Catholic, of saying, praying for people that I that are in my life that are sick or really hurting in some way. So that is a, a deep, sacred, important experience for me and how I start my day. And so it's carried me through to now. And one of the vocations I have, I would lift from Joseph Campbell, which is, I think I'm here to joyfully participate in the sorrows of the world. That's my place. And so when I can align with that, then I'm woke. And that might sound to some of your listeners like, oh boy, that's a downer. (laughs) Why would you want to be in the groove with people who are experiencing sorrow? Well, it's because of one of the things I talk about a lot and write about it in the book, and it's Khalil Gibran's famous quote of, our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. Our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. And when we can unmask our sorrow, it's not something that we do once and never look back. It's a practice of unmasking our sorrows every single day. And it is for me. So if this morning in intercessory prayer, I can pray for my friend and think about him in body, mind, and spirit, then I can joyfully participate in his sorrow today and at lunch. And in this paradoxical way that Gibran is talking about, I will myself experience deep and great joy. This is one of the things I highlighted in the book, actually, everything you're talking about. And I think it's such a cool way to connect to our vocation. So in your steps, Sean, to uncover your personal vocation, can I read it out loud so listeners know what we're talking about? Sure. So there's six steps. And instead of what we often hear in today's culture of follow your bliss, there's nothing wrong with it, but you know, there's a lot of talk about following your joy and doing what feels right. And I think what often gets lost is actually something you mentioned in the book as well, is is that we first find our personal vocation, what we live for. And oftentimes we mix it up and we think, okay, we need to make it our business right away. And sometimes that's not the case for everyone. So instead you reverse this process and the steps are Number one, don't try to find it by endless research. Step two, inventory your talents, your passion, and what the world needs. Step three, begin with your sorrow. Step four, serve selflessly. Step five, expect nothing in return. And step six, discover the internal space where you can ponder your next steps with clarity. And I didn't engineer this, but my story actually starts with, or at least the story that brought me where I am today, the story of the business that I started, Breakfast Criminals, it starts with sorrow to it. It starts with heartbreak. It starts mm-hmm. with breaking up with a person I thought I was meant to be for life. And to me, that led me to the depths of just being so sad and heartbroken and having to learn from scratch to love myself and be there for myself. 
And that's what really drove everything else because I started sharing that journey with others and realizing that all of us in some way have broken hearts and have things to heal and to learn. And I know you talk about similar things. I've listened to some podcasts with you before where you talk about heartbreak as well. What is your take on what that sorrow can be and how we can be more present for it. I think one of the things to remember about heartbreak is its connection to our soul. And if we believe that, then that means that there's no time-space boundary to that heartbreak and sorrow. It's not on the calendar. It's not place. It's where we are. And it's a part of us. And so in that case, if it's not bound, if our heartbreak and sorrow is not bound by time and space, then that means that we have the capacity to touch our own heartbreak and sorrow no matter when it happened. It could have been this morning. It could have been 50 years ago. Why is it, do you think, that when we talk with people who are in their 80s and we ask them about a heartbreak from their childhood, why does it come just rushing back to the emotion of their spirit and their being. It's because of this idea. It's not bound. The heartbreak is not bound by anything. And it's and so what for me, my, my dad died when I was 14. I was with him when he died. He was my hero. I didn't think he was going to die of cancer. And I begged God out loud to please not let him die. And he did. And so I spent 25 years just essentially proving to God that I did not need her and I would just turn away from important things in life and just accomplish every single thing that I could in my path. Everything was a mountain to be climbed and it didn't matter. I got to the top and there was another mountain. It could have been money. It could have been success. It could have been winning cases. I was a criminal defense lawyer before I started this chocolate gig. And so all of that, but 25 years go by and then all of a sudden my daughter who was nine at the time, wanted to read Tuesdays with Maury to me out loud, and it changed my life. And God spoke to me through that book, and it changed everything for me. It was a complete shift. And so what happened? I connected to that sorrow. I didn't know what was happening. I could, now I have words for it. Then I did not know. It was like someone had you know pushed the blender uh, in my soul. And so I was able to connect to that heartbreak for the first time in 25 years. And it was easy to connect to it, but the path from that place forward was challenging. But that's at least how, in a nutshell, kind of how it worked for me. Do you think it was something special about the book, or was it just your time? I think there was something, both. I think it was my time. I just finished a grueling murder trial, and so my emotions were, you know, all over the place, and physically I was drained. So I was in a place where I was going to be, no matter what, receptive to some kind of input. So yeah, time. And then the book itself, Tuesdays with Maury, is just a, well, I mean, I think it's sold like 45 million copies. And it's it's a very touching, moving, heartfelt story, true story. And it just reached me. And I believe in my faith that God can speak to us, the divine can speak to us, and can hold us and can reveal to us the messages that we need to hear in all forms of media and media that we can't even imagine. I mean, it could be a shoe on the floor. It could be clipping our fingernails. It could be a billboard. It could be anything, anything. It's possible. Any, any form, anything we see or sense. You talk about cacao ceremony. Of course, the divine can speak to us through that. 
or anything else. And so I just think we have to be, what we do is we practice. We have a discipline and we have a practice so that our souls can be ready for that experience. Then we are aware of the experience. We are present for the experience. We are present in it, hopefully in a way that our practice will allow us to recognize the eternity of that moment, Eckhart Tolle. And then what we do is we spend our time and days integrating that moment of, the, of, of an encounter with the divine into our daily lives. It's not about just experiencing the divine and then you know going to the next experience. It's about integrating that experience into our day, into our life, and how we treat other people. Wow. Would you say you were as connected to the divine as you are now when you were just starting Eskenazi? Or did it develop over time the more you stepped into your vocation? I think it's developed over time. And I've been assisted in that process by my spiritual director at the Trappist Monastery where I go about an hour and a half from my house. It's in the Mark Twain National Forest. It's in the wilderness. And I've been going there for 20 years. So when I started on this path, before I started chocolate, while I was still practicing law, I got a spiritual director, uh, Father Cyprian, who I write about in the last part of the book. This is, uh, I would just go there on retreats. Well, about six years ago, I became a family brother there. I'm not a monk. And as I said before, I'm not even Catholic. I'm Episcopal. But that man, Father Cyprian, has been a guide for me, a teacher, for over 20 years. And so he's helped me in that. He's helped me, as you say, to kind of develop. And so absolutely, when I started asking OC Chocolate, I didn't, I mean, I was beginning and I'm still beginning. What role would you say that connection, that developing connection played in starting a company? Because, you know, as you write in the book, you were fully immersed in the criminal defense world and you didn't have a business degree. So that connection to your vocation to the divine had to be way more powerful than any excuses and anything you didn't know. So at the time, how how did you get guided to start the business? How how did the whole idea unfold? I was having trouble. And as you kind of listed those steps that I talk about finding personal vocation, I was having trouble. I knew I couldn't stay in my law practice, not because I didn't believe in the work, but just I'd had enough. 20 years of it was long enough. and But I was having really trouble finding this path. And so I became desperate. And I, I think in my desperation, I even sort of spiraled to more anxiety and depression, which is not uncommon. As we become, as when we're lost, the harder we're trying to, to find our way sometimes the more lost we become and it's this never-ending circle and how do we get out of this and so for me and i i suggest this because i think it applies to all people in that position is i found a place to serve that was connected to where my sorrow was my sorrow began so what i did is i started volunteering in this palliative care department of a hospital, which is like hospice in the hospital. I mean, I was still working and trying cases, but I, on Fridays I'd go visit people um, that the hospital would give me a list of people who were there who'd asked for a visitor. And maybe some Fridays I would see two or three people, sometimes 20, depends on the list. And many of them didn't have family or anyone with them. And they were all in some stage of dying. 
cardiology, neurology, oncology, a lot of them in oncology. I would just go visit with them and talk about whatever they wanted to talk about, pie recipes, fishing, family, stories. I would read to them. But I always ended my visits by asking them if they would like for me to pray for them, not to try to convert anybody or anything, but just to ask. And most dying people, when offered a prayer, will take a prayer. I found that out. But where the conversation really kind of began to peel back the layers is when I said, what would you like me to pray for? And so this was really connecting a a spot of the deepest sorrow for me. What I mean by that is when I was 14 or 13, when my dad was diagnosed with cancer, the church people would come over and lay hands on him at our house. And the leader said, don't ever talk to your dad about death, because if you do, Jesus won't heal him. It'll be a sign of doubt. So the louder they got in their prayers, the sicker he became. And that's why when I was with him, when he died, I was so surprised that he just had a stroke from the cancer. And I begged God, you know, please, please just don't let this happen. So then connect that, even though it'd been 25 years, to a moment when I say to someone who's dying, what can I pray for for you? What would you like me to say? And then they would say, well, would you pray whatever? You know, would you pray that I die today? I'm in pain. I want to I want to go. Or would you pray that I'm healed? Or pray that I live long enough to my wedding anniversary? Or any, I prayed exactly their words right back to them. So I would put my hand on their arm, ask them if I could hold their hand. And when I repeated those words to them, something happened. I can't really explain. It's a mystery. And because the manifestation of that, quote, something happening was sometimes when I walked out of the hospital on Fridays, not every time, I'd walk to my car and it was as if my feet weren't on the ground, like I was walking on air. And there's a word for that. It's called joy. And in those moments of joy, my consciousness expanded in such a way that I think my soul and myself were more than ever receptive for the possibility of what would be coming next, what is in my future. So this is a very mysterious process, but I believe it so firmly that it applies to all of us heartbroken people. You know, and there's a lot of us who speak heartbreak. And, and so I think this applies. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? And I think if we can serve someone out of that place or a group of people out of that place, then that, this is what's going to happen. I believe this is how we're, we put ourselves in a place of awareness and reception, tuning in to that communication from the divine. Mm, the joy of being of service. Yes, but in particular of service that is in the birthplace of our own heartbreak. So it's one thing to discover that on a personal level as a practice to take on in personal life, to be of service in various ways, but it's a whole other thing to take that idea, that concept, and apply it to a huge business that has given back over a million dollars to the farmers that you support around the world. So what was your process or what are some ways that you made that happen? Because we live in a world where a lot of people believe that business can only be done in a certain way. Now there's more and more ideas about conscious capitalism and transparency. And I love that you are pioneering it. And I'm just so curious to peek behind the scenes of how it all came to be. 
One of the things when we're on this path of starting a business or reformatting a business and it's us, the entrepreneur, then I think it's a, it's a worthy exploration to find what I would call a vocation within a vocation or calling within a calling, as Mother Teresa said. And what I mean by that is if I was just having this light bulb moment of, hey, what about making chocolate from scratch, not knowing where it came from, had no clue. Within three months of that, I'm in the Amazon. And I come back and start to quit my law practice and took a year. And well, but then what I did at that time is even almost kind of unwittingly, but now I see it. I said to myself, okay, I'll make chocolate. I'll quit my law practice, making a ton of money and I will quit and make a lot less money. I know I'll make a lot less, but what's driving that? What are some sort of business propositions that are so important to me as it relates to making chocolate? And there were two things. One, working with farmers. I wanted to work directly with farmers. I wanted to do that in the moments before and around the time that my chocolate business was born. I remember very specifically walking. I walk a lot. I walked then. I walk a lot now. And it's just a place of comfort for me and stillness and and meditation and meetings and talking and all of it. But anyway, it came to me, okay, I want to work directly with farmers. Why? My grandparents were farmers in Southwest Missouri, and they were, they unfortunately are not here in body, but they are in spirit. And so they were simple people, not highly educated, very small farm, lived on their same farm for over 60 years, went to the same church, kind, kind people. And I spent a lot of time on their farm growing up, working, and I had often wished that I would have just been a little bit less of a teenager to them during those years and nicer and not such a jerk about doing work on the farm. But I said to myself, I want to work with farmers. I want to work with cocoa farmers. I want to go visit them. I want to go see them. And I've done that over the last 14 years. When I I told you I was in Tanzania a few weeks ago, it was my 44th origin trip since I started the company. I go to every farm every year. So I'm in Tanzania. I'm in the Amazon. I'm in Ecuador. I'm in the Philippines, round and round. And so why? why? It takes a long time to get from Springfield, Missouri to Tanzania, sometimes 60 hours. And the older I get, the more I feel it in my body, but I still love it. Why? I am honoring my grandparents when I'm with these farmers. And in a sense in, in that I feel I'm with my grandparents when I'm with these farmers. And so it drives the cocoa beans and the paying the farmers directly and sharing profits with them, turning our financial statements into their language, like turning our financials into Swahili so they can see how we calculate profit share. All of that is driven by my grandparents. And the second vocation within a vocation is working with students. My factory is a block from the largest homeless shelter in our town. And when I started this place, there were 80 kids a night there. Now the homeless shelter has moved, but there are still poverty in my neighborhood. And I wanted to engage those kids that were in the local schools here. So we started Chocolate University the year we started the company. We're in the fifth grade, every unit of study in, their, in, the, in the Boyd Elementary School. And we have a middle school program, and we have a middle school summer school program, and then we have a high school program where every other year I take high school students to Tanzania. And so what is that driven by? Well, my sixth grade teacher was Mr. Elmore. I write about him in the book. And he was nice to me and kind 
when my dad was sick and going through chemo and radiation and and he would write encouraging notes on my homework papers like hey i know your dad's really proud of you and i bet you're going to be a lawyer like your dad he was just a nice guy i'm still in touch with mr elmore and we had lunch just a few months months ago and anyway he is the inspiration to me for these kids could i be mr elmore to these students we've taken kids to tanzania now we're in our 10th year and Is there a chance, a way that I can have some influence over them? And you're thinking to yourself, but wait, what does that have to do with chocolate? Nothing, nothing. We say it's not about the chocolate. It's about the chocolate. That is, since you, I think, study Zen, you understand what I mean. There is this non-duality that applies in that. It's not about the chocolate. It is about the chocolate. These things of working with farmers and working with students informs what I think is the great chocolate that we make. And we couldn't do it without it. They all It's a circle. They support each other. And the chocolate allows us to work with students and work with farmers. And so, again, let's bring back Khalil Gibran. He said, if you bake a bread with indifference, you bake a bitter bread that feeds but half man's hunger. Well, that's right. It's true for chocolate. It's true for podcasts. It's true for all of it. It's true for your morning rituals. If you do those with indifference, they're bitter. They aren't productive. So that's what I mean when I say it's not about the, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. And that's how we infuse this notion of vocation in all aspects of our business, in everything. There's not a department of, it's not siloed. This is all, it's all just jumbled up together and sometimes it's kind of messy. So what I'm hearing is the power of intention. And I think we all have different vehicles for expressing ourselves in the world. For someone, it's business. For someone, it's creativity. For someone, it's both. For me, a lot of times, it's food and and conversations and media. And for you, it's chocolate. It's just a vehicle to be who you were meant to be in the world. Exactly. It is that right at this moment. And what I try to express is that it is right now, but... As we know from the study of Buddhism, it's going to go by. It's not going to last. You know, this is um, forever changing, and I'm not going to hold on to it so tightly that I worship it and not the things that we've been talking about for the last minutes. Oof, that's so, that's such a powerful reminder for me right now. And I'm sure for a lot of listeners too. So, what, Sean, do your trips to your farmers look like? What are some ways that you connect with them? Well, for one, some of them I've been visiting for 14 years, every year. And let's talk about, for Tanzania, for for instance, what it looks like is, I know now, before I go on a trip, whether it's by myself or my daughter, Lauren, who's our chief marketing officer and my partner, and if she's going with me or if, if a bunch of students are in tow, I know before I go on my trip, that I'm going to have an encounter with the divine. I just know it now. I expect it. But I don't but for me I've learned that I don't take that for granted and so what that means is my awareness has to be open at all times because the encounter is a surprise. So I know it's going to happen but I don't know when and I know it's going to be only a glimpse. And so now it just happens. And usually it has to do with 
when I'm meeting with the farmers, someone will say something and the veil will be lifted. But most often, what I've seen in the last couple of years is that it has to do with music. And the most recent dramatic example I can think is two years ago, one of the things we do is we fund and staff something called Empowered Girls. It's an after-school club for girls, and it helps them with self-esteem, sex education, self-worth. We buy feminine hygiene products for them so they can go to school and not have to stay home during that time. All kinds of things. And we have now we have a boys' program because there wasn't a boys' program. Like, well, the boys need to learn that the girls aren't chattel. So we have a program now called Enlightened Boys. And so we have thousands of kids who have been through this program. And anyway, so I'm there in the village with our students, and they're going to have a graduation ceremony for Empowered Girls. And it's a four-hour ceremony, and I've been to these things for 10 years. I mean, I've just been. And they can get kind of long when you're sitting there for four hours, and it's in not even in Swahili. A lot of it is in the tribal dialect called Nyakusa. Uh, you know, there's skits, and it can get hot. And so anyway, before I went into that thing, I was like, okay, Sean, it's going to be a long one. It's going to be three or four hours. Just get through it because I've done it for 10 years. Well, these girls got up from the high school next door to sing a song, and it was a call and response song. And it was in Yakusa, and something happened during that song. And I can't describe it other than I didn't know what the words were, but I didn't need to know. They penetrated me to the point that when I listen, there's a video we have of that song now because everybody was, and I can go back to that place listening to that song. It was God singing through those girls in that song. And I don't even know what they were saying. And that's what that looks like. This happens over and over again. And so, as I said before, the key is not to think, oh man, I need to have another peak experience in Tanzania and do another one and another one. It's got to be, what am I going to do with that? What do I do with it? How do I behave? How do I let that guide my life? And that's what I'm thinking, man, can people have a chance at work? I mean, I was working. You, I mean, I wasn't there on vacation. Is there a chance to encounter the divine at work, in our work? And the answer is yes, absolutely, 100%. And so it's, it's people that I meet. It's this the last trip, the tribal leaders took me to visit a widow whose husband had recently died. That was a very sacred moment because they trusted me, a foreigner, to be present at her home, to pay my respects. That's what I'm talking about. It's a deep, deep, deep relationship that I would not trade for anything. And it's one of those things that you, you can't plan this. All you do is you show up. And probably for a lot of businesses, they would think, oh, going to farms every single year, that doesn't make sense financially. And so it's about making those priorities and those values very clear and showing up, whether that makes sense financially or not. How do you combine those two things, being truly present and financially successful at the same time? I think, as you mentioned earlier, you know, I didn't have any business classes in school. I was a political science major, so it made sense to go to law school. And I didn't have any manufacturing experience. And so I've, over the last 14 years, I've really relied heavily on people that were either in my company or advisors or friends who can 
help me with some of these things to understand cash flow and understand a financial statement and understand the importance of good financial health and open book management, which I've practiced for a long time, even as a lawyer. And so if I can have other people in my life and in the organization, and I think I mentioned we're very small, there's only 17 people in the whole place, including me. And so we have to be very, very careful. We're My wife, we've been married for 32 years. She's very debt averse, and that can be hard for us because we don't have debt to speak of, but it means that we manage ourselves through cash flow. And I would say this, the way that this has grown over the years in answer to your question is faith. And what I mean by that is not a simple faith of, oh, it'll all be okay, a faith that is a faith that is a result of this practice that we've been talking about, the practice, the discipline of this work. And what I mean is, is that the history of it has given me even more faith, meaning that even in challenging, difficult, troubled times, it is okay. And so it's given me even more faith to say that even what maybe outside observers would say, ooh, that's bad. That's not going to be good. How are they going to get through that? I have an abiding faith that we will get through it. And part of it is what I said before. Remember, I said, I'm not going to hold so tightly to this that I worship it. It could mean that this business, this thing that we're talking about, all of this cool stuff could vanish and it will vanish. And the point for me then is what parts of it will survive disappearance of everything else. And the things that you and I have been talking about will survive. They will not vanish. Do you think, I mean, to encounter the divine and to see these girls singing and to experience that, that's not going to vanish. Or the, the chocolate that I've tasted, I'll remember that. I'm drinking chocolate right now while we've been talking. That won't vanish. It will not vanish. Mm. All right, switching gears to something that will vanish, social media. You know, we're talking about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship in the digital age. So I'm curious, what role has the online world and social media played in your business growing the way it has? My daughter, Lauren, who's my co-author in the book, you would love her. She is the one who's been responsible for the architecture of our social media efforts. And, and she has done a really great job with that. And it has played a very important role in terms of Facebook, Instagram, and our newsletters, all of those things have been the way for us to communicate with the people who enjoy our chocolate and hopefully we'll share with their friends and others because we don't have money for marketing. We don't advertise. It's by word of mouth and by the stories that we're able to tell that are sometimes not short (laughs) and simple. And I think that social media has been a way um, for us to do that. Me personally, you know, I have a blog. I am not on social media as much as I used to be. So for me personally, I think I could do better by, you know, promoting the book and these types of things if I did do it. But I have found that in some cases it has been, for me personally, sometimes it has been a distraction from my discipline. And until I can kind of mature a little bit, I think, then I, I don't think it's super beneficial for my own for my own practice. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's so important to remember that we have the choice that yes, any marketer, 
will tell any business owner, you should have a personal brand presence. You should have, you should have a business presence. You should be posting every day. There's all these shoulds. And if you follow them, yes, it will help you have bigger reach and communicate with more people and grow your business. But at the same time, if it doesn't align with your soul and with your consciousness in the moment, forcing it won't make things better. Right. For me, I want to have a viable business. You know, we do. I want to be profitable. We are. I talk about in the book and I hope you'll, I think you'll like it. It's called reverse scale about not growing wildly without thought only to, you know, keep up with the North American cultural notion of scale. But, and so, yes, I think that just for me, yeah, the choice is there and I'm able to say, is this keeping me from my intention of trying and aspiring to be more present? So that's it, you know? And like today, for example, in in an hour, I'll be with my friend who's sick, and I prayed for him this morning and his family. And if I spent you know, an hour after we hang up scrolling through Facebook, am I going to be more present for him when I see him? I don't know. For me right now, maybe not. So I'm not going to do it. And that's just me. I also believe that you and I are going to look back at this, not that, but we're going to look back at this, this notion of social media and communication 50 years from now. And there will have been so many cool developments that allow us to communicate with people who we want to connect with on a soul level that we want to have that we want to be in community with. I mean, I'll be dead in 50 years, but you won't. And but that doesn't mean we won't be able to talk about it. I won't be able to be a guest on your podcast, but but we can still talk about it. Or maybe you will. Maybe I will. We can still talk about it though. I do believe that. And my mom, who, you know, we didn't get along that great after my dad died and I gave my dad shots of Demerol for pain because she couldn't do it. And I was 13 and I held that against her for a long time. But in my meditation practice in the last year, after my morning prayers, my mom has visited me and we have a better relationship now than we did when she was alive. And so anyway, I do believe, I believe that. I believe that technology and the things that we're talking about will allow us to be in community and communicate with others and realize that we are one, that we're connected in ways we could have never imagined. And I, I do. I think that's possible. And I think we will move to that as we evolve consciousness together. John, I have good news for you. In my experience, it's possible right now. Uh-huh. You know, this is a podcast is a form of social media, and I'm feeling everything you're saying. And I feel that every day with my community on social media. And I truly believe that if we bring that full presence and we create boundaries and we bring the intention, then we can feel that soul connection with others online. Just take, it's a two-sided street. I've seen you do it and I've seen your videos and they're just perfect. I mean, I, I, I just, you're, you're talking when you're speaking, you're talking to me. You're not trying to put on a big show. You're, real, you're authentic, and you're looking right at me. And when I've seen your videos, I thought, oh, man, that's cool. That's very cool. Thank you so much. So speaking about things that make us present, for me, my number one tool, well, after meditation, my number two tool is cacao ceremony. 
I discovered it a little over a year ago at the Assembly to Co-working Space here in New York City. And my friends, they run a company that, a very small company that has started out a couple of years ago that specifically sells ceremonial cacao. And so with my weekly presence in circles at ceremony with the community, through my trips with them to cacao farms in Guatemala, I have experienced such rapid expansion. And for me, cacao ceremony has been this tool to be just so present, both with myself and anyone I'm sharing the cup of cacao with. And I'm curious if you have any experience with that, having visited so many farms and being a chocolatier. I have. I would say that I've experienced, of course, the more traditional drink um, in the Philippines than anywhere else. It's called tablia, a very traditional hot chocolate drink. And it's been a part of gathering and a part of meeting time and food with farmers. I have not experienced that in Tanzania. I have experienced it in Ecuador with farmers who make a kind of a paste out of the beans and drinks with the various spices. But most of the time, I've just experienced it myself, you know, just here with the chocolate or the mindfulness that we bring toward eating a square of chocolate. That, especially the way we make it, and especially the way we make tablia, because there's basically nothing in it but water and cocoa beans, nothing else. Let me think. We sell, yes, we sell tablia. And tablia is, so this is cocoa paste. And what that means is that we take our beans from the Davao Philippines. They're roasted. And I feel pretty strongly about that. We could talk about that sometime. But anyway, and then we grind them in a grinder. And we then go straight from that to a little round disc. It's about maybe 10 grams. And that disc is nothing but cocoa bean that's been put to a paste. And because one cocoa bean is approximately 45 to 52% fat content, it has cocoa butter in it. Now, we make our own cocoa butter here. We were the first to do that in the U.S., small batch. We press single-origin cocoa butter to put back in our chocolate recipes uh, from the same crop of beans to give it a smoother, even higher fat content, a creamier texture, if you will. But for these drinks, tablia, which we do sell, just before I talk to you, I put a disc in a cup, and I tried something new. I put two squares of our white chocolate in it. So it had a little bit of goat's milk because we use goat's milk in our white chocolate. I put hot water in it and frothed it up, and it was great. Now, the tablia has another layer of coolness to it. When you buy the tablia, I forgot how much it is. I think it's like $8 or something for 10 discs. We don't keep that money, none of it. I don't mean like the profit. I mean, and we've done this for years, all of that money goes to fund a school lunch program in the Philippines. We're on our third elementary school in the Philippines over the last almost 10 years, where we've been providing school lunches for the malnourished children, not just the malnourished kids. I mean, every kid in the school. Right now we're feeding 400 kids a day when people are buying the tablia. So, and it's good. (laughs) It's not just something like, oh, I'm feeding kids. I mean, so that one little package of tablia, I want to say provides about 150 meals. So think about that. I mean, the intention of, you know, we made this from their beans 
you buy it and you're doing this good with it and then you're consuming it. I mean, the circle really couldn't get any tighter than that. So cool. Okay, I'm definitely going to be trying that. So before we start wrapping up, I want to get a little more into chocolate and talk about fair trade versus direct trade. And what is a way for chocolate lovers to walk into a store and actually know that what they're buying is benefiting everyone along the way? I don't know about anything fair trade except chocolate. So I can't speak to fair trade coffee or anything else. As it relates to chocolate, I believe that fair trade has become a victim of its own good intention. And what I mean by that is that the fair trade label on chocolate has, at this point, given consumers a sense of satisfaction that if it carries that label, that it's um, benefiting the farmers in the right way. And I will say, in the beginning times of, of fair trade, socially, environmentally, economically, it did good work. But now, it's not. For one thing, multiple studies have shown that Fair trade does not mean that the farmers get more money. They have sh- the studies have shown that, in fact, layers of administration and management in some of these cooperatives are who peel off the premium money that's paid per metric ton for fair trade cocoa beans. I want to say fair trade. The fair trade premium right now is, I think, maybe two hundred dollars per metric ton, and that's just not enough. It's not enough. So unless you're paying the farmers a whole lot more base price per metric ton for the beans, it's not enough. So if you take the world market price and just add on a couple hundred bucks per metric ton, the farmers are going to see none of that, none of it. So I'm very vocal about it. And direct trade is a term that is defined by whoever's using it. So you can go to our website and see what we mean by direct trade. You can see what intelligentsia coffee means by direct trade. They were really the pioneers in direct trade coffee in this country and really helped me a lot along the way in the beginning years. But, and so for direct trade, it's all the stuff we've been talking about. So I would just encourage your listeners to rewind this podcast and listen to it again and say, I would say to them, that's direct trade, what we've been talking about, all of it. And it's paying farmers directly right now, literally just before we got on this podcast, I received a communication from our person in Tanzania, our field rep, who runs our Empowered Girls, Enlightened Boys. She lives in the village. She's Tanzanian. She herself is a graduate of Empowered Girls. And she emailed me and said, hey, we're very close to getting the license. And what we're doing is we're, we are assisting the farmers in Tanzania that I've been working with for years to become their own exporter. That is so cool. Why? Because it means we don't have to pay another person. They get to keep the money. They're their own exporter. That's direct trade. Profit sharing with them, that's direct trade. We're transparent about what we, you can go to our website, look at our transparency report, which is audited, and you can see what I've paid farmers in every single bean transaction since I started the company and how it relates to not just fair trade price, which we've been talking about, I don't believe in, or the world market price, but most importantly, the farm gate price. That's what the farmers would have otherwise received if they were selling their beans at their farm gate, which is the most comparative price. And on average, we've paid farmers 55% more than they would have otherwise received in all these years and all these bean purchases. Now, we're not moving the needle because we're so small, but hopefully we're shining a small light on this. Now, let's get to your really important, great question of how is somebody supposed to know all this when they walk into a store? Well, they won't. 
That's the truth. You won't, especially when, I mean, there's a lot of choices. It's not just chocolate. It's everything. It's shirts. It's whatever. I think that if you like chocolate, not just you, I mean, I'm talking to your listeners. If you like chocolate, it's important for you to start developing relationships with companies that you can trust. And that's not that hard. You can go to their websites. You can follow them on social media, as as we've been discussing. And character reveals itself over time. So if you have a relationship with some chocolate companies and some of my brothers and sisters and and us, for example, over time, you'll see. You'll watch us. You'll read our newsletters. You'll just periodically jump onto social media and see what we're up to. And you will develop a trust relationship with us or other people or not. That to me, I think is, I think that's the best, I think that's the best way. The other thing, of course, is if you're in a reputable store and you trust that store and the people who work there and you have a relationship with them and you feel like they're educated and informed, ask them, ask them about the things that are important to you. And I would say if you don't ask or you're not developing a relationship with the chocolate companies in some way, then you're kind of at risk. I think you're at risk. And I would say in this age of social washing, greenwashing, that we are at greater risk than ever of being susceptible to beautiful messages that may or may not be true. And that's why I'm so grateful for this opportunity to have this podcast, because not everyone will have the time to go and study every product and every brand they want to purchase to really understand who they're supporting through that. And so having these conversations and like you said, learning about the why and and the souls behind the businesses makes all the difference. That's right. And when I go visit the farms, I'm looking at the cocoa beans that are getting ready to be packed on a container. And then I get to see them. I get to test them. I get to make sure that they meet our contract spec. And then they're on a ship and they show up at my factory a couple of months later and I get to be there. And that's pretty cool. Any fruit along the way? Cacao fruit? Do I eat it? Yeah. Absolutely. Are you kidding? Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I eat the seeds. I eat the pulp. I've had pulp juice right off the tree. I've had it distilled. I've had it every which way. I've had, I mean, yeah, these are beautiful moments that I'll cherish Mm. what we're talking about. All right, Shannon, I got to let you go, but where's the best way to connect with you besides this conversation? Well, of course, our website is askinosie.com, A-S-K-I-N-O-S-I-E.com. And there's a lot of things on there. And as I mentioned before, Askinosie Chocolate has Facebook and Instagram and Twitter presence. And then me personally, I have a blog called seanaskinosi.com. My email's on there. People can reach me very easily. They can read our book, Meaningful Work, that Lauren and I wrote. That's available lots of places. And my email is in the book as well. And I want to encourage people to reach out to me if they have questions or struggling with certain things that are in the book. So that's those are the best ways. Mm. And I'm going to link to everything in the show notes. So if you guys want to connect with Sean, go to WokenWired.com and all the links he's mentioning are in the show notes. So before we officially wrap, Sean, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you feel called to share? No, I think 
I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you'll uh, come visit our factory someday and we can meet in person. I hope so too. I think I'm actually coming to Missouri in December. Will you be around? I will. Perfect. I would love to stop by. Oh, that would be great. Well, we'd love to host you here and you can see it and smell it. Go right to the source. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on WokenWired.com and also join the WokenWired podcast listener Facebook group. It's a private group where you can connect with people who are like-minded and say hello on Instagram. Find me at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now.